Hello, and welcome to the Biz Bros Podcast. My name is Kyle Nelson, and I'm my co-host here, Eli Libby. And today, we have a very special guest. We're very excited to have a really good conversation about or with, and that is Emily Milius. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy 2021. It's exciting 2021. to be in a new year and a fresh start more than Absolutely. ever, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're- you have said we're glad it's a new year it's been a been quite the <clears throat> roller coaster the past past year so we're looking forward to kind of moving forward and getting back on track yeah it, absolutely but congrats to everybody who made it through because if yeah. we can do that what can't we do right <laughs> we can do anything exactly yeah awesome so just a little bit about emily real quick um she's a founder and ceo of launch consulting um and Emily, she, she, what's really cool is she's an expert um, on how people instinctly operate. So she helps companies kind of connect and get everybody kind of on the same page, kind of build culture, um, and just uh, helps, helps companies get untapped talent um, out of their employees. So um, we're really excited. Emily, could you kind of talk about kind of like how you got where you're at today, kind of your track record and um, some, some maybe cool experiences you've had in the past? Yeah, well, you did such a fabulous job describing that. Thank you. I started my company 14 years ago, and it really is out of this mission for every human being to know and harness their unique capabilities. Mm. And what's frustrating to me constantly is that the world, particularly the business world, who can get a little assessment obsessed, and I'm not anti-assessments. I use them all the time. I'm, all, I'm totally data rooted. But the business world can get very hyper-focused on skills and personality. And the dirty little secret is that neither of those things are actually predictors of long-term success or their fulfillment. So everybody loses when that's what we're focusing on. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've hired Mm -hmm. the person with the outstanding resume, with all the great degrees, skills out the wazoo. They could pass every test and they still failed at the job. We hired the person that was a go-getter, totally motivated, you know, added to the values and company culture, you know, loved by all, failed at the job. So that's what I'm so passionate about. And like you spoke to my expertise is in rounding out that picture more effectively so that people can better advocate for themselves, so that businesses can advocate for their employees. We can strike a win-win. And that is by understanding how people instinctually operate. Mm. This is totally distinct from what you know or why you do things. I love Simon Sinek's work with our why, Mm -hmm. but that also got a little, I think, just over-focused on. So I know a lot of passionate people who, again, still fail because they're in the wrong job. They're doing the wrong things because it doesn't match how they're wired to contribute. So with that passion and mission, um, that's what's fueled me over these 14 years. And, um, you know, we're just helping, again, people to see that third part of the mind that goes so um, under or unrecognized. Right. And um, to the ultimate benefit of increasing engagement, productivity and profits for companies and then for the people in the companies, giving them more success and fulfillment. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. I think every company needs someone kind of holding their hand with some of these things to kind of uh, get rid of the toxic employees and really fix culture and make sure everyone um, is really maximized of what they can do. Absolutely. And, And giving company leaders and entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, 
the know-how to do that. Mm-hmm. And it even starts with, you know, you might have a lot of listeners that don't have employees. They don't have teams, right. but they're managing themselves. And um, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and my dad always joked, you know, my worst boss is, is often myself. <laughs> so it starts with, we've got to figure out ourselves. Right. Um, and, and I see a lot of high achievers in particular, which are a lot of business owners, right? Um, they're like, grit your teeth, get her done kind of people, they will make anything happen. But, you know, like her mama said, just because you can doesn't mean yeah. you should. <laughs> right. And so there's a lot of, you know, it starts with self and then it moves out from there depending on, um, or it really doesn't depend on how large your organization is mm-hmm. or small or singular. We've got to understand that piece of how you're naturally wired to work. And then building a business and teams and cultures around that. But again, if you don't know what that is, or if you're guessing or hoping or stumbling on it, that to me is a lot of unfortunate, painful trial and error. Mm -hmm. And I want to take out the guesswork for companies. I want to remove that learning curve or at least shorten it and give them that predictive prescriptive data to take out the people problems on their path to growth. Love that. That quote right there was phenomenal. Absolutely love that. Emily, are you, we may have talked about this in our pre-interview. Are you familiar with the book, uh, Good to Great? Of course. Yeah, actually I had a college professor that used it in my course. So I even studied the thing. That is really (laughs) cool. That's one of the books that we recommend uh, from the Biz Bros. And from some of the stuff you said, uh, and it's very clear that you studied it uh, after hearing what you said. But yeah, putting people on the right seat of the bus I, is so impactful. And we try to think about that and focus a lot about that uh, in our day to day in our business. So um, totally, I, just, but I related there a lot. Absolutely. But here's what I'd say. We all have repeated that thing a bazillion times, right? Get the right people sure. on the bus, get them the right yeah. people on the bus. Okay. But who knows how to scientifically do that? Mm-hmm. I do. I don't know a lot of other people who do, right? So I think it's, we get the concept, Mm -hmm. but then we get stuck on the implementation piece, right? It ends up still being this big black hole. And I see a lot of people throw solutions at the problem. And again, it tends to be personality-based, it's personality type instruments, but you're gonna be frustrated. It's not gonna work because those instruments are not the right tool for that job. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't agree more with you, Eli, that that's the key, getting the right people doing the right things but if you don't know how to accomplish that, if you don't have the formula for that, you're, it's an academic exercise. It's not, it's not a functioning operation. 100%, 100%. I think that really sets the stage well uh, to today's topic. I think, I think all of this is just a great foundation. So what we're talking about today is really how to unlock or maximize the full potential of and talent from uh, current employees or, or, or maybe even future employees. And I know the one thing you talk about, and maybe this stage kind of element is you talk about visionaries, doers, and integrators. That was one thing that really pulled away from what you talked about earlier. Uh, so is that kind of what you mean in terms of that, that kind of scientific formula? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Or, or maybe explain that a little bit more. Sure. Uh, well, first, let me speak to that, what you just talked about mm-hmm. with visionaries, doers, and integrators. I would love for that to have been my concept, but I, yeah. I totally borrowed that from Traction. Gino Wickman is the author. He's the man behind EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Brilliant. Everybody needs to read that book. Go get that book. 
Um, it's it's easy to read. And um, for people like me who have trouble finishing any book, I've started a bazillion. I finished maybe like three. Uh, that yeah, one actually yeah. is finishable uh, okay. because it's actionable. And and I like that yeah. kind of stuff. Again, I'm not, the, even though I'm data driven, I'm not into academic exercises. No, I want it to make my life better now. I want it to make my life, my business better now. So Gina Wickman creates this framework that addresses the problem that I have seen a bazillion times uh, with business owners. And I, I think a lot of your listeners can probably appreciate this, maybe been there, done that, or doing that, or uh, have seen that, which is when we're hiring, particularly if it's a solopreneur and they've been, you're used to doing things all on their own, they're wearing all the hats, they're doing all the things and they're sick and tired of it. You know, they're exhausted. They can do everything, but they realize they're not doing everything well and they're, you know, missing out on time with their family and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just wearing, wearing them too thin. So then they look to hire somebody and usually one of two things happens. They either go for their clone or they go for their conflict Mm -hmm. and both are dangerous. Both will tank the business. And, and here's, here's how this happens, though, because when I say it clone and conflict, it sounds real obvious. But in, in reality, the story goes, the entrepreneur is innovative, experimental, loves selling, loves ideas, loves thinking big, loves relationship building. They hate the admin crap, right? It's the back office, the, the mm-hmm. bookkeeping, the filing, the delivering on promises. So they think I'm going to go hire the best of somebody who does all that stuff, right? Somebody who does all the things that I hate doing and horrible at and weak at doing, I'm going to go hire my best opposite. And while it totally makes sense from a task perspective, mm-hmm. when you have a team for two of two, and you're basically speaking two totally different operational languages, it doesn't work. It absolutely blows up. What happens is two or three months down the road, usually that entrepreneur says, I'm so frustrated with this person. They need so much detail. They don't take it. So, you know, initiative, um, which is really just a misunderstanding of how that person actually operates, but they get frustrated with, um, you know, sort of how much they feel needy uh, or needed by that person. And again, all that detail and structure and they feel boxed in. And then that admin person is saying, this person's crazy, right? He's all over the place. He changes his mind all the time. You know, I'm hired to do this job and I can't even get into it before something changes on me. And, you know, it's all over the place. I'm not getting detailed instruction. So it blows up, right? So that's the problem of hiring opposites, especially when you have a two-person team, because yes, while those people are operating and covering different needs of the business, there's zero synergy and and that just is not sustainable. So then the opposite can happen where I see an entrepreneur who often has frankly a buddy, right? You know, wow, you are a visionary too. You have these great Mm -hmm. big ideas. We can go out and sell the world together, right? Yeah. And they do. And then the business comes in the front door and leaves the back door just as fast, right? Because they can't deliver. There's no back end. So that cloning issue becomes groupthink. They think they're amazing. They're patting each other on the backs and that will tank the business too. So kind of going along with that concept of that Gino lays out is he's saying there is a role for a visionary. You know, that's usually the founding entrepreneur, the solopreneur. That is the person who's 
charting the course, who sees yeah. the future, who thinks big. But there's a, a middle ground between them and the doers, so mm-hmm. to speak, the people who are doing the day-to-day functions, because if it's just those two directly together, it's going to yeah. clash. So that's where he introduces the role called an integrator, mm. which is really your translator between you, the entrepreneur, if that's the role that you are in, and all of your day-to-day operations so that you're not meddling in their stuff yeah, and absolutely. distracting them from their work. And they're not frustrated by you and the unique way that you operate. So that integrator is really, you know, it's the neck that turns the head in a way. I mean, it's that linchpin to making things work, particularly as you're growing. And I, again, I think that I've just seen it over and over when you're, when you're early on in growth and it feels like I've, I've got to get these extreme points covered, right? It feels weird to hire more in clusters or complements because it feels like well there might be more redundancies that doesn't make sense efficiency wise but it's just the opposite um if you hire all these people in their separate camps you're going to get a toxic culture right everybody's going to be frustrated by each other they're going to work in silos you know you're not going to get that kind of rhythm as a team so it's more you know know who you are Mm -hmm. and build out in rings from that does that make sense hundred percent. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm being a sponge right now, trying to file in the right spots. Uh, so on the podcast, we always ask our, um, our guests if they can kind of help with some actionable steps for them. So, you know, we're talking a lot about maybe not necessarily the kind of the hiring process, but finding either like a co-founder or business partner, a lot of people, like we said, are kind of early stage, they're solopreneurs. How do they really be aware and make sure that they can kind of follow these steps, especially at such a beginning foundational position of your company? What are some actionable like tips that they can kind of be aware of and kind of just think about as they're looking for a co-founder, business partners, or some uh, doers like you're yeah. saying? Well, normally my mantra is trust your gut, but when it comes to this, don't trust it. It's going to lie to you. <laughs> when it comes to hiring, your emotions, whether you think you are emotionless or right. not, are taken over. You yep. have biases towards that person um, and not even bad ones. You know, they might just do things the way you do them and that's cool. You'll like that, but that's not good in making hiring decisions. So absolutely number one is get good data to help you make that decision. And I'm not saying it's a silver bullet. There's not one thing that should make the whole decision. You know, there are intangible factors, right? Um, yes. You want to like that person, right? You know, that there's, there's a couple facets to that. And I can outline that here in a minute, but if you're not including data in your hiring decisions, you're doing it wrong and mm. you're going to pay the mm. price. So the, the thing I'll say about that, and I'm happy to have a, a side conversation with anybody listening because this is where I geek out. Okay. Because not all data is created equal, right? And yeah. not all data is EEOC compliant. So you also don't want to get yourself in real hot water by yeah. accidentally using data like DISC, StrengthsFinders, mm-hmm. Myers-Briggs, just to throw those out there, not EEOC compliant to make a hiring decision because that could really blow up in your face. So find an EEOC compliant predictive set of data. And I use tools called the Colby assessments. Mm, Um, They are on their own 82% accurate in predicting who will work well. That's unheard of in the assessment world. Um, Just to kind of give us a 
comparison, predictive index, which has predictive in the name. So one would think predictive. It's only 17 to 19% accurate. Wow. So I'd rather put my eggs in the 82% basket, right? Again, no silver bullets here, but use data as your gut check, as uh, an objective measure outside of yourself, outside of your team to help you make that decision and make a good one and make sure it's good data because good data leads to good decisions. The second thing I would say is, and I'm, I'm all about frameworks, right? You know, there's these fuzzy big black holes of people and performance and, you know, right seats on the bus, right? But nobody has, knows how to actually quantify it. So yeah. I love thinking about hiring and performance in a three-part metric. It's you have to check the box and all three boxes, majority doesn't win. You have to check the boxes on skills, passions, and talent skills, passions, and talents. So if you have that as your rubric, both for hiring and for training, developing, and then diagnosing people problems, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a good spot. You, you likely have covered everything. And, and here's what I mean by that. So I'll actually start in reverse. Talents is that operational style piece that I've been talking about. How a person naturally solves problems and takes action. It's not what they can do. It's what they're born to do. And I sure want to hire people that are born to do the job I give them, not something they can, you know, muster up the energy to do, right? Because that part never changes. Mm. That's why it's so critical. My my mom told me, um, and I don't know about what your mom has told you about your wives, but (laughs) my mom told me not to marry the man for who I think I can change him into, but Mm -hmm. for who he is today, right? And it's the same thing in terms of that operational style of an employee. If that person is naturally a bottom liner, you're not going to make them an analyst. Yeah. And it's going to be painful for you both to put them in that job. So check that box. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. what Colby measures. And that's why it's so effective, but then you can't stop there. You know, I'm not saying, um, the say yes, offer right on the spot. Then we look at the passions piece. Does this person share the mission, vision, and values of our organization? Mm. Do they add to our culture? Are they a nice person? You know, are they motivated, right? And personality maybe kind of sort of, but I don't know. That one's, <laughs> personality is so ebbing and flowing. Um, mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. successful um, extroverted accountants and successful introverted accountants, right? It's, yeah. just, it's just here nor there. But passions, I would say more that why piece you know, what fuels them? And is that in alignment with what fuels this organization or this team? And then if that box is checked, then you can look at the skills piece. And I feel like there's so much emphasis on skills, but skills is the easiest thing to solve for. Mm -hmm. I also feel like if you've got a a candidate who has the right talents for the job, is extremely passionate about Mm -hmm. the work that they're doing, about the work that you're doing, I'll train them all day long. Right. Yeah. That's an easy thing to rectify, but you still want to look at it. You know, obviously there are certain roles that require more skills than others. Skills, you know, yeah. you can't yeah. show up to the hospital to be a surgeon, not have gone to medical school. Yep. So, Absolutely. you know, obviously Absolutely. use your judgment, but if you can check the talents, passion and skills box mm. and support that with data along the way, you're golden. Wow. That's, that's powerful. I love the, the part about, we, we talk a lot about, um, maybe not in, in the same context of, as you talk about, but we, we do 
trying to visualize passion is, uh, and talents. And we kind of wrap that up into culture. Are they a good cultural fit? And if they have some skill, but are they moldable? I think we say that word a ton is like, can we craft them like a little piece of clay? Can we, can we mold them into what we want them to be and teach them the skills that they need, but, but backed with, do they have that burning passion to, to excel and, and to be successful? So I, I, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's an easy piece to solve for. But unfortunately, I see a lot of people get passed over mm. because they, you know, particularly more of a corporate environment, you know, where we're scanning through resumes and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm so annoyed by this years that work experience requirement, you know, must have yeah. three to five years to apply, must have 15 years to apply. That's hogwash. That's silly. That's getting stuck in a skills-based mindset, which has been repeatedly proven to not be predictive. So it, in fact, intelligence, cognitive factors are about 50% predictive. So toss the coin, right? Mm -hmm. This is not, this is not a deal breaker folks, yeah. but yet we still keep getting hung up on that. So I love what you're talking about. It's more, do you have the burning fire in your belly? Do you yeah. have that shared vision and passion um, and, and values? And are they aligned to do the job? Are we forcing the round peg into the, or the square peg into the round yep. hole? Yep. Or is this something that they would do even if you, you know, even if they weren't paid to do it kind of thing? Exactly. exactly. So um, kind of going back a little bit, um, when's a good time to introduce like uh, the Colby, is it an assessment? Cause I know, you, mm -hmm. yeah. So when, when is a good time to introduce that? Yeah, is it like question. one of, so let's say you have 15 candidates for a position that you're talking to and interviewing and um, you're sifting through them, you're getting down to the last three. Is that when you go and do those assessments? You're like, okay, these three people, we're really liking them. Let's give them assessment. Or do you do it like, okay, I feel like this is the right candidate. Please do this assessment. And then like hundred percent, I know like don't rely on hundred percent, but when's a good time to really implement that? Like, I love, 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 love that question, Kyle, <laughs> because again, this is another place where I see a lot of entrepreneurs and hiring managers get totally tripped up. And I'm not quite sure why. I, I think they might be thinking it's less of a financial or administrative commitment. Um, mm. But honestly, it's not that expensive to assess candidates, particularly in light of the return of getting the right one exactly. and avoiding right. the wrong totally. one. So. Even, I think it might just be like some limiting belief that just doesn't exist in reality. But what happens is most people think, okay, I'm going to sift through, we'll do, um, you know, the resume search, we'll do an initial phone screening, we'll bring them in for an interview. And once we get down to the final three, then we'll give them this assessment and we'll pick amongst them. Here's the problem. There's a couple problems with that. The big, big, big problem that I get in the middle of a lot is that you are now emotionally invested in these people. Right. And I'll tell you what, having been on the other end of that conversation of saying, I'm really sorry, these three people aren't a good fit. You know, I sometimes I'm glad it's virtual because yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you can't get mad at me. You know, yeah. but they they it's like, you know, it's like when they say you're looking at houses and you're starting to put your furniture, you know, placing right. your furniture in the room. Oh, you are so done for, right? Yeah. So you're already envisioning where they fit. You've built rapport, you know, their dog's name, right? You're in trouble because to say no to them is so much harder Yeah, and you're not going to want to do it. So you feel sort of this commitment mm -hmm. obligation thing and, and inertia you're done for. So mm -hmm. 
you don't want to have to back that up or walk that back. And frankly, you won't. So it's, it's another one of those, um, gut check measures to do this. This should actually be, um, you know, it, it probably is cost prohibitive to, to do everybody that might apply online for your physician. Right. But after the resume screening, or an initial, I'd say no more than 15 minute phone screening where, you know, they pass the smell test kind of thing, yep. then you should be assessing them okay. because we don't want to get emotionally invested. And then the yep. second thing is mm. it costs money. It costs money of your time. It costs money of your team's time. You're not counting that. It, you're not factoring that in, but think how much money or resources it's, it's taking for you to take these people through the process that could be ruled out at the beginning as being a bad match. So why let's spend our valuable time on people that we know to be good right. contenders yes. and then work with that. We shouldn't ever be talking to somebody that we know from the start isn't going to do this job well. So why bother? So do it early, do it often. That's, that's when you need to assess. That's what assessments are there to do. And again, one more caution not all assessments are created equal. And even mm-hmm. if they say they're good for hiring, I would really look at a, a, a data point that I ask for all the time is predictive validity. And that's the geeky assessment term for does this predict the future? Yeah. And you'd be shocked, shocked to hear what a lot of the assessment companies predictive validity is. If you got that percentage on your test in school, you would have flunked out. So just watch wow. out for that one. That's why I look under the hood of the assessments that I use because, um, you know, I take uh, that the integrity of the assessments um, that we bring to our clients mm-hmm. results in the integrity of the work that we do for them. So big caution, don't take the assessment company's word for it. Their marketing right. sounds great. Do your own research or partner with someone like us and we can help you do that and pick the right tool for the job. Wow. <clears throat> I have a question. Um, uh, spinning it back a little bit towards the earlier part of our talk, we talked about visionaries, doers, and integrators. Um, if you were to put those into three buckets of, of uh, you know, people, and you're trying to you're trying to to grow your team based on these three buckets of people, and you're trying to identify them uh, as you are hiring, say just for example, you're a, you're a team of six today, and you're trying to grow, to, I don't know, to a team of ten by the end of the year. So you've got good growth. Um, You've probably got a couple, maybe co-founders that are, that, are, that are visionaries. The question I'm trying to get to is for an example like that, say you're trying to grow to 10 people by the end of the year, what is like the percentages in these buckets that you kind of want to look for? Is that something that, that you can advise people on? Or is that just kind of, I know we're not talking about gut feelings, but mm-hmm. small percentage being visionaries, maybe a big percentage being doers, and then integrators kind of are the liaison between those. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'd say there's two answers to that question. First is, you you know, like any more traditional business model, it's going to yeah. be a little bit more pyramid like, right? Yeah. You know, you yeah. don't, you don't need, everyone shouldn't be a cheat, right? You got, you got trouble when that happens, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, you want, you want someone at the helm or a few folks at the helm. And then that integrator level is probably also a bit smaller. And then you're going to have a lot more of the day-to-day operations and you can have a flatter structure or, you know, a a taller structure, but generally speaking, you're going to have more technicians and a less, uh, there was a great article and now I don't remember who wrote it, but he said there's psychologists and there's technicians. Mm. So you're going to have less psychologists and more technicians. So um, that said, it all comes back to the 
actual jobs. Yeah. You know, there's one, there's no one size fits all model. I, I um, am totally averse to that thinking. Uh, I like frameworks, but they're not, you know, everybody has customization within that. So I would say, just think about the, the needs of your company and don't get hung up in job descriptions and stuff. I know sometimes when we sit yeah. to write a job description, it just, you know, it just yep. shuts us down. So don't think so much about that. Think about the tasks. What's the yeah. hole that you're trying to fill or what's the hole mm -hmm. that you've been filling and not doing it so well, you know, just, just start by brainstorming that or um, a great exercise, particularly again, if you're a solopreneur, sit in a room with a massive whiteboard and just write out all the tasks in your business and ideally put them on post-it notes so okay. that they're movable. Yep. So just write out all the tasks that are done on a day-to-day -day basis or necessary, right? And throw them on up because um, likely these folks are also innate brainstormers. So get it all out and then start clustering. Okay, these things kind of go together. These things kind of go together, right? And you're going to end up with a couple different clusters. It might be four, it might be 10, but you just define the needs of your company. And now you can start forming job descriptions off of that, or you can start talking to people or, you know, finding the right people for the job. But, um, you know, I, I think if we go at it, like you need 10 people, um, that's not that you're not, it's not going to be helpful. I think if Love it's that. more, what are the needs? Just like, just like business owners innately, you know, entrepreneurs, they started their company because they saw a need in a customer or mm -hmm. a client. And they said, how do I fill that need bigger, better, faster, more efficiently, right? Than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So think about growing your business in the same way. What's the need? And then how do I go fill that the best way possible instead of, you know, um, you know, I'm a hammer and I'm just looking for nails. That's actionable advice yeah. right there. That it's going to be powerful for our listeners. Yeah. It sounds like a really cool exercise. I know Eli and I, we've done similar exercises like that, but yeah. in terms of creating job descriptions, that's usually just like, okay, let me look online on Google. What are other companies <laughs> saying for job yeah. descriptions? Like, I know we need this position, but really like, what are they going to be doing every day? I think if you just break it down and like easily just do this exercise and just get yep. real, like these are the things that need to be done. Let's create a position like that. Exactly. Where are the holes in the company? Right. Sometimes yeah. you just got to simplify it rather than yep. try to, you know, one up your competitor, one up other employers. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that exercise. That's a, that's a great, I think that's a great actionable item. Another thing that you can do with the same exact exercise is, um, is do that with your own tasks, right? So mm -hmm. not necessarily thinking about growing the business but you know this is a great time to do it too with you know sort of the start of a new year is what are all the things that I do every day and then you take a you know a really hard look at it and say what needs to be deleted delegated mm. or automated because oh, chances are you're doing way more than you should be doing I'm super guilty of it too so you know yep. we're all in the same boat but that that helps you but I think that just like you got to go with the dump first you got to get it mm. all out there and I like having it visual and then again yep. if you can move around the post-it notes and just it, delete, delegate, automate. Ooh, I love those powerful. framework yep. and just, you know, set your columns on your whiteboard and move your stickies. And right. then that's where, if you have a team, you can invite them in and say, Hey, these are the things that I've committed to for the next quarter and beyond. I'm not doing any more, but in this delegate column, this, I hate, what do you love? What can you, which sticky can you take or who can help me find a software that'll do the automate? Right. And so it, and then you can bring your team into helping you problem solve and free you up so you can do higher value activities. That's amazing. Awesome. That will be another one of the, the postmark uh, type uh, quotes that we'll probably pull out from this podcast. I, I, those yeah. are actionable things are amazing. 
just awesome. some like real world experience recently, uh, Eli and I and our other business partner, we sat down and we talked about, okay, like for 2021, who focuses where? And it's kind of like this arbitrary, like, well, Kyle, you're more head of creative and Eli, you're more head of the operations. But it was just like us, like just grabbing random sections of the company and just like, well, you like, we, we say you usually do that, so do that. But I think really thinking in the framework of deleted, um, delegated and automated so we can, okay, Eli and I both don't like doing this and neither does Clint. Well, then we should probably automate this process and not worry about it or delegate. I think that's great. It's a, it's a, it's a better way to really like, I don't know, enjoy, enjoy life every day at work as well. You know, you're working on things that you're actually passionate about and, and you know, and enjoy your time with. So. Love yeah. It. And if you have a clarity and uh, 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 not just that uh, conceptual people, right people on the bus, but here's how I operate. I can right say that clearly to myself and others, if you have that understanding going into that exercise, then it's like carbon copy, right? It's like right. laying the two on top of each other. And it's really obvious what doesn't fit. And, right. and it's obvious to everybody else. And you have that confidence and clarity around it and can make better decisions and quicker decisions yep. about what doesn't fit. Right. So again, it's shortening that learning curve. Um, because learning curves are expensive and painful. So we don't want to have to go through those. Right. So right. let's just, let's jump right to it, get the right things right off the bat mm-hmm. um, and not uh, step on each other's toes while we're figuring out how to dance. Yeah. Here. We did something similar like that with our team. Uh, we, we, we laid out all of our team members, uh, these kind of individual uh, team profile cards and within the cards, we had them take a personality test, which I know you recommend not doing, but <laughs> within the team, we had them do that. And then, uh, we had them list out how to best work with me. And that was, that's powerful. So, um, and that's worked for us, but it's not, how do you, how do I operate? And I think that is where we can twist the wrench a little bit and really tighten it up. So uh, I love what you said about how do I operate versus kind of what we're doing now, which is how do you work best with me? I really like the, how do I operate? So. And let me give you an example of where this gets really hairy and why I just struggle with these personality type instruments. Because personality instruments, if you've taken them, you obviously have mm-hmm. ask a lot about preferences and values. I mean, they'll, they'll even say on their websites, <clears throat> we get at preferences. Here's the problem. I personally, true statement, prefer to be organized. I want to be organized. I love to be organized. Yep. I like to be organized. Yep. If you look at my desk that you can't see strategically on Zoom, yeah, yeah. I don't operate in an organized way all the time. Mm. Interesting. Right. That's. Do you, do you see the problem I, I here? See, I see the problem. So, but I see the difference. I, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's not a problem that there is a difference, but it is a problem if we're interviewing someone, we say, hey, what do you think about organization? Love it. Love being organized love an organized team. Great. We'll put you in charge of operations, process development. What if they're horrible organizers by Mm. operational style? Right. So like for me, my husband will tell you, I value quality. I don't build anything that's quality. (laughs) You know, I don't have that innate ability to do that. Right. So, um, it's great. Like we need to be aligned and unified in our values. So it's good that somebody would value organization, but they're not necessarily the one to do the organizing. And that I, I see people make that leap. They, they think that if there's a value or a preference there, that they're the one to do it. Just like, um, 
gosh, I've, I've seen this ha clash happen a lot where there's a manager who by nature is a simplifier, bottom liner, get to the chase, cut right to the point. They don't read the whole shebang. Right. There's a direct report that's detailed, that needs information. Again, not once, not values, needs information mm -hmm. and data, right? I know other personality assessments kind of get it once around this, but um, it's a need thing. It's a visceral thing. Um, and many times that manager will value that the research needs to be done, but they don't reread all of it. They in fact value that contributor so much that they trust that it's done well. But then that contributor might get frustrated and feel like they're not respected, mm -hmm. they're not cared mm -hmm. for, because my manager couldn't take the time to read the three-page report that I stayed up all night to do, right? So again, values, totally different than mm. operating style. Sometimes they line up, you know, I am by nature, you can tell more of a, a data person. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I want data, prefer data, sure. but it's not, it's not always the other way around. So mm. that that's where we got to be careful not to make that leap. And then also recognize that your preferences and your values, uh, your likes and dislikes, those are always changing. So yeah. all personality assessments expire in a year or less. That means if you take it again, a year from now, you get a different result. How you naturally operate is with you for life. You truly never changes. So that we're just talking about apples and oranges here. And so we need to know what data applies to what situation. It's incredible. I love it. I think you've dropped some real value bombs today, Emily, and we really appreciate uh, everything that you've had to say and really, really enjoyed the conversation. So where can um, our audience find you and, and learn a little bit more about you and kind of just give us a little bit more, maybe they can get some more background and maybe they can reach out to you for some services. Yeah, I would love that. So first let's connect on LinkedIn. Uh, again, my name is Emily Melius. Uh, as we talked about tough last name, but you'll find me and uh, check out the website launchconsulting.io. Launchconsulting.io. Um, there's lots of free resources there, great eBooks. Um, and of course, I'd be happy to hop on a, a 30 minute call with whomever talk about, you know, what your vision is and what's getting in your way. Awesome. Thank you, Emily. We appreciate your time. Um, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the Biz Bros podcast. You can find us on all of the different platforms where you can find podcasts and hit us up on Instagram at biz.bros. Well, thanks again, Emily. And we look forward to another episode down the road, hopefully with, uh, with, with some more information. Let's do it with post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Emily. Have a good one.